for everything readiness. Tagmain.com. Always ready, sure, secure. You're listening to the Crisis Application Group podcast with your host, Scott Tope. All right, welcome. Hey, this guy needs no uh, introduction if you followed our pages or if you have uh, uh, listened to some of the uh, previous podcasts. He was on Stop the Bleed Week. Kevin Hunt uh, from Prepared Medical Responses uh, with us today. And uh, in addition to doing some of the stuff that Kevin has done with the TACMED, uh, with Spotter Up, and, and some of these other groups uh, for about, uh, what'd you say, 10 years now? Yeah, going on 10 years. With uh, the Wilderness Medical Association, which is a a unique group that's that's you know not only here in the United States but they're also in Canada, and there was a text going around with with some of the SMEs in the group about talking about wilderness first aid and uh, staying safe on vacation and having a a, a vacation camping medical plan, uh, which we we seem to be harping on this a lot. So maybe that might be something important to look at. Uh, but we're going to talk about wilderness first aid and, you know, ranking it from a scratch from a burr all the way up to the, the nasty stuff. So, Kevin, welcome. Thank you. Thank, good to be here. Um, tell us about uh, Wilderness Medical Association. Yeah, so WMA Wilderness Medical Associates, a company uh, based out of Portland, Maine, uh, for-profit company. Uh, we teach uh, essentially all levels of wilderness, what we can, what we call wilderness medicine um, it started out as kind of strictly wilderness medicine. It's evolved into uh, austere medicine, essentially. So uh, all the way from a two-day wilderness first aid course, uh, we teach a four-day advanced first aid. Uh, we teach a uh, wilderness first responder, which is kind of the gold standard for the outdoor industry. If you're a, any type of outdoor professional wilderness first responder, it's typically an eight-day course. Uh, wilderness Advanced Life Supports uh, for advanced practitioners. We also have some specialty courses um, for uh, like journalists traveling into austere environments, combat zones, or overseas. Uh, we do some uh, kind of private courses for um, military folks. Um, and then we do s- several courses outside of the United States in countries like Japan, um, South America, we, we have an office in Canada. They do a lot up there. Um, so it's kind of runs the whole spectrum of anything outside of your, the reach of 911. Um, so, you know, we can't really put a timeline anymore on austere med. It can go from, you know, you can say anything two hours more away from a hospital, or you can say, hey, uh, uh, Joplin, Missouri was just des- decimated by a tornado, and now we're operating on wilderness or austere protocols. So, uh, but it's basically anything else. Anytime your resources are stretched or you're uh, separated from immediate medical aid by time, by distance, uh, by disaster, or anything like that, we kind of teach how to handle just from the mundane stuff uh, all the way up to the serious stuff. So, well, let's jump company. into it. Like yeah, it. yeah. Um, and and we we're 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 talking about um, wilderness first aid, and and the reason this is. We've, we've, we've really beat it into our members and, and listeners that stop the bleed and, and talking about, you know, as it pertains to weapons and, and weapon-based injuries, <clears throat> as well as, you know, you know severe trauma. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think we have touched, we've kind of, we need to kind of dive a little deeper and, and, and maybe kind of touch on some of the things as far as, you know, if we're getting ready to go backpacking or camping or on the wild boar hunt, there's a plug. 
Um, <laughs> you know, we're 45 minutes from, from, from any sort of uh, uh, medical facility that, 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 that at least that's what our, our emergency medical plan is showing us right now. And so walking into an environment where we know we are way out there, um, treating those wounds, what kind of wounds can we expect to see? And we'll, that'll be our first part, and we'll, we'll jump into more specific care going down the road. But what are we expecting to see? Uh, well, I mean, expect you're going to expect to see cuts, scrapes, bruises. Um, that's going to be a given. Anytime you're outside, if you're if you're being active at all, um, you're going to scratch yourself. You're going to cut yourself. You're going to bang things up against other things, causing bruises. And then it can progress if you're a little less careless or, or lucky. Um sprains and strains, maybe fractures, um, and then moving into larger traumatic events. If you fall or uh, are involved in some type of vehicle accident, whether it be ATV or, or car or truck, um, bicycles, high-speed, high-velocity uh, falls, causing some more trauma. Um, but as far as what, what to expect, you expect to see cuts and scrapes, expect to see bug bites, um, expect to have to deal with the environment. Um, you're outside of, of a controlled environment, so have to deal with the hot, the cold, the rain. Those are all things that um, we kind of take for granted. And if we spend any time outdoors, um, can have an adverse effect on the body. And just knowing how to uh, prevent is your is your primary measure for, for treatment is prevention. So how to prevent those things, and when they do happen, just kind of where to start and how to deal with them when they pop up. And I guess then when we're building a plan, um, you know, I think a lot of times folks are wanting to be told, all right, you need, you know, you need two tourniquets, you need a pair of scissors, you need this, you need that, you need this. And, and I, I think all too often then the plan is, is that we buy everything we think we might need for every possible contingency of what it may be, rather than <clears throat> setting it up as a plan based in a, in, a, in a strategy based rather than an equipment based uh, right. because we could fill up a backpack um, pretty quickly just with our, you know, what if plan. Um, sure. And so I guess we need to, we need to start with, you know, what's the plan? How do we, how do we plan? How do we plan accordingly uh, with the understanding that we can't have everything, uh, we're, right. you know, we, we're going to have to kind of look at, you know, stepping into this of, you know, all right, you know, cuts and, and, and being able to pursue on with the, with our camping trip. You know, we get a, we get a nasty little gash that isn't going to require anything more than, you know, some, some wound management. Um, but, you know, we forgot the Neosporin and two days in and, and, you know, now three days hiking out, um, you know, suddenly we're fevered and, and, and got issues. So, um, I guess, you know, how do we, how do we set a plan up or how would you, let me phrase it. How would you set a plan up? Well, that's, that's the first step is the plan. So don't, don't venture out without understanding what you're getting into. Even if it's what you think is a day hike or going to be a few hours off, off road or on the trail, you've got a plan for that. So first of all, understand where you're at. So know where the closest hospital is, know who to call if there's an emergency um, if you're outside of the realm of 911, if you're in a national park, um, if you're outside the country, there might be alternate uh, numbers or people that you have to call to get emergency medical services to you. Um, 911 works really well in the United States, but outside of that, 
it's not necessarily reliable. So just understanding where you're at. If you're in a national park, you may need to call park rangers first. If you're in a state park, you may need to contact somebody. So understand where you're going, what the emergency plan is for those people. Don't hesitate to ask uh, if you're at a park or in an area, in a wilderness area, ask the staff that work there. Like, hey, what do I do? Who do I call if there's an emergency? You know, who's coming? How long is it going to take to get there? What are they going to be coming on? Are they going to be coming on foot, on ATV? Um, so just understanding where you're going, first of all, and understand the risks and hazards associated with that. Um, know what the weather looks like. Expect to spend the night, even if you think you're going to be out just for a few hours. So bring something to spend the night with, a light, some type of light source, some type of way to build a fire, some type of shelter. Um, so just plan to be outside, plan for the worst. You don't have to load down a huge go bag, um, but just something that if you happen to get hurt and you can't come off the trail, um, or you can't, you can't get to somebody and they need to get to you to make yourself more comfortable and be able to survive an overnight trip. Um, and then outside of that, it's packed with things that you, uh, think that you'll, that you'll need. So if, if you're worried about, uh, minor cuts and scrapes and minor injuries. Um, the the stuff that we experience in the wilderness isn't any different than what we experience in what we call the front country. It's just the consequences are, are more. So if I get the cut in the back country um, and I'm not in a sterile, clean environment, and I'm not going to be able to take a bath for two days, then the risk isn't the cut. The risk is the infection that would ensue from that two or three days later. So the same for any injury, a broken bone, isn't any different than a broken bone in the front country. It's just now, now the consequences are much higher. Uh, so understanding how to, to deal with these emergencies. So the first part of the plan is to plan. The second part is trained. And I know we say that for everything is like, Hey, if you're going to do this stuff, you need to get training and people probably roll their eyes. Like, yeah, I get it. Get trained. But if, if you're not trained, then how are you going to respond to this type of stuff? How do you, how are you going to know? I appreciate you listening to a podcast, but I can't show you the techniques for cleaning a, a dirty wound over a podcast. I can't uh, show you the type of gear and the techniques for, you know, splinting a, a fracture in the backcountry on a podcast. So you need to get training. And let's and talk it's not about from, that. Yeah, the, the yeah. training for this, too. And, and let's talk about that because I think a lot of times we view training as being – Oh God, I'm going to sit in a classroom on a Saturday. My Saturdays are important to me. I'm going to throw yeah. 300 bucks at this and I'm going to sit there and think about, <clears throat> you know, better uses for that 300 bucks or I got to convince my, you know, significant other this is $300 I need to spend. Um, yeah. And, and all, and, and being realistic about it, um, you know, some of these classes and some of these things are not that expensive. The Red Cross will teach you classes on this. I know. Uh, there, there are some other groups, and I'm not trying to take away from what many of our uh, <clears throat> amazing affiliates do, because they do, but they, they can be a little bit more in-depth. But, you know, if you step out and start training, you're, you're going to be surprised at, at, the, at the dividends from it. Um, and just on a ballpark, when, when Wilderness Medical Association wants to put on a class for some wilderness training, what are we looking at as cost? Well, the way that we work as a company, or I say we, I don't own the company. The way they work is uh, we are invited by a sponsor. So whether it be like a university or an outing club or somebody would 
we contact us and say, hey, we want you to come teach a wilderness first aid class. And then we, we charge a flat rate to them, and then they turn around and they charge the consumer. Okay. So uh, for a two-day uh, first aid class, which is the basic the, the basic level class, um, I've seen anywhere from 200 bucks up to $400. And it kind of depends on on the sponsor, what they're offering, if they're, if they're feeding you, if they're, uh, you know, kind of what their costs are. But typically, I would, I would guess um, around two to two hundred fifty bucks. Okay, and that was, and, and it, I'm kind of, I'm leading up to this, and that is that, that at a lot of our training events, there are going to be individuals standing around who are trained on this, and if there is a time or a break or, or you know, even over, you know, a lunch. I, I remember seeing Jess at an austere med one over our lunch break, you know, two of our guys, I think Mark Vasquez and, 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 and one of the other guys was asking Jess in a question. He said, all right, well, come here, let's stuff off to the side. And, you know, in 30 minutes, he walked him through it and the guy, you know, okay, great. And so that, that, you know, when you're in some of these training classes, ask these questions and, and, you know, you got the experts there, ask them. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm thinking absolutely. about, you know, training doesn't necessarily need to be, drop everything, hop on a plane and fly to Atlanta. Um, no, it's, you, you look around They're they're out there and we're, we're getting affiliates all the time coming to us with, Hey, I've got these courses. Can we use them? And, and it's, you know, we'll, we'll take, you know, we'll take anybody that'll come talk to us. Mike Sterling is constantly on the hunt for, for affiliates to do stuff. So I'm sorry to, I, I meant to, I broke your, your, your train of thought and no, no, setting your plan up. I'm stuff. sorry. Um, but I want to interject that because that's something that's been kind of mentioned a couple of times with some of our members. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So get trained, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever you can afford, whatever you can afford as far as your time, your money. Um, you know, if it, all you have is to search the Internet and get information from that, that's fine. Just make sure you're vetting the places that you're going, that you're not just listening to some Yahoo on a forum. Um, you know, go go through people like CAG or like other groups that are putting out quality content that you know the instructors are solid. And if you have questions, if you're not sure about what they're teaching you, ask them, ask them to verify what they're teaching you. And if they can't do that, then move on to somebody else. Um, so there are plenty of folks out there who want to tell you how to, how to do things, but there's uh, far fewer who actually know how to do things. So, um, but I mean, as an example, for a plan like yourself, I'm leaving next week for a vacation. We're just simply, it's a simple, I have a four-year-old, so we're going to Gatlinburg. Um, but just because we're going to Gatlinburg, which is chock full of people and has a hospital and has an EMS service, um, we will spend time in the national park and we might be 30 minutes away, you know, and if myself, my wife, or even my son were to roll an ankle, uh, fall, uh, be accosted by an animal, um, I don't want to wait that 30 minutes for somebody to come help me. So, um, you know, I do have a, a medical plan and, and the way it kind of differs from the way I approach, uh, tactical medicine is in tactical medicine. Typically, uh, what I'm dealing with are, uh, severe life threats, right? I'm not worried about cuts and scrapes and attack med scenario, but that's, that's not my initial approach to, uh, vacation medicine, I guess we could call it or wilderness medicine. So I'm going to assume in going into my vacation environment that I'm not going to be shot. Um, but I do expect to get cuts and scrapes and bug bites. Um, so my kit changes a little bit. I still have a trauma kit. That's always there. That's because that could always happen. But beyond that, I have 
just your basic stuff. I have your um, your over-the-counter medicines. Um, I have simple band-aids, bandages, you know, what people would call like a boo-boo kit. Um, I've got some compression wraps. I've got some ice packs, you know, and all this fits in um, a smaller bag that I can cram in a backpack, in a day pack. I use a camelback, um, and it fits in there. And it's enough to treat minor injuries um, for comfort, essentially. And so we can decide, like, hey, is this serious enough where our trip has to end and we need to go we need to leave and go find a doctor or is it something I can fix on the trail and we can continue on and deal with when we get home. Um, and that's kind of the, the litmus for, for what you're doing out in the backcountry. Is this something where I can stay here and I can stay on my trip, alter my activity, uh, address it each day and move on? Or is this serious enough where I have to, my trip is done and I have to figure out a way to get out. And once you make that decision, you can come up with a, a more in-depth plan. If I can stay on the trail and my trip continues, I just treat that injury and we move on. And um, I kind of do my cleaning each night. I reassess, reassess, um, you know, do my treatment. But if it's something I decide, hey, we got to go, then I put into motion that plan to evacuate out. And based off the seriousness of that injury will determine my course evacuation. Um, so do I, can I do that myself? Do I need to call in help? Do I need to call in a helicopter? Do I need to call in whoever to get this person out? Cause they're going to die, you know? So it all kind of depends on your resources available, your location, the type of injury and the, and the people that you have with you on your team. And so it's a lot different if my wife goes down versus my four-year-old, right. I can carry my four-year-old. I, you can try to carry an adult person out, um, and I see that a lot in my courses. People are like, oh, we'll just carry him out. Well, it takes it takes significant effort to carry a human body, an adult human body, over uneven terrain for any amount of distance. Yeah, so, John, John Henry there, Martin said it's about 100 yards. <laughs> he said, see, that's, yeah. He said, that's, that's it. Gonna, you're gassed. He said, you're not, you, met, you figure about 12 people to get one person out over any kind of distance. Right. Um, that's probably what they're going to send. If you call for help, they're going to send 9 to 12 folks because that's the manpower it takes to haul one person out. So, um, so yeah, these, these are all the thing about austere medicine is the variables are endless. So, you know, what is it I'm dealing with? And, and I can't carry equipment for everything. So the equipment that I do carry has to typically have multiple uses. So if I have a piece of kit in my, in my bag, it's got multiple uses because I don't have the space or the energy to carry everything. So, um, I choose my equipment based off of its versatility. You know, does this one this one piece of gear it can do several things? If it can mm-hmm. do more than one thing, I'll consider taking it. If it's got a one job, one trick pony, it's staying. Home. Yeah, it's yeah. going to stay home. I'll find something else. So, well, let's. Uh, we 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 originally had the original idea on this was was that was pitched to Kevin was snake bites, uh, yes. and that was where we were talking with. Mike Sterling suddenly got it up is is behind <laughs> that you know snake bites. We need to, we need to do a podcast on snake bites, and I'm thinking Mike, we sure. got to fill 40 minutes on snake bites. Okay, um, but let's uh, let's jump in there uh, and let's okay. let's talk about it. And I think uh, you know you you had mentioned that this is something that's that you know you you're near and dear to your heart and have had some 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 experiences with and so i'm i'm gonna literally just turn it over you and and let you kind of run it like you would a a class so all right well let's talk about snake bites so we're gonna typically focus on north america um 
if you're outside of North America and you are going out, if you're outside of North America, period, you need to understand what type of animals you're going to be dealing with because they are not the same as what's in North America, snakes specifically. So if you're this, this message I'm delivering as far as snakes does not apply if you leave North America. Um, North America is fairly benign when it comes to poisonous snakes, um, but any, any venomous snake that you have here, it's either going to be a, a pit viper, like a rattlesnake or uh, a cottonmouth, or it's going to be a coral snake. So um, contrary to Mike, and I hate to burst his bubble, but you are far more likely to be shot than you are to be bit by a venomous snake. Um, <laughs> there's Each year there's probably six to 8,000 snake bites, and um, they say one in every 37,000 snake bites are venomous. And only one in 50 million will die from that. So take that with a grain of salt. You can die from a snake bite. The good news is you got some time. So we're dealing with pit vipers primarily, um, which would be your rattlesnakes and your cotton mouse. The treatment for them is the same. Um, there's only one medication really available to treat that, the anti-venom. And that's really the only treatment that you can, you can get for a pit viper, for a pit viper bite. Um, the good news is that it's the same everywhere. Um, you don't need it to catch the snake or take the snake with you. In fact, if you try to do that, nobody's going to let you bring that snake with you. So if you get bit by a snake and you think it's venomous, you don't have to explain to anybody what kind of snake it is. Um, they're going to, they don't need the head of the snake or the body of the snake to determine that they're going to treat you the same. Um, the downside of that is not everybody carries that medication. It's called Crofab. It's a, uh, synthetic anti-venom. Uh, it's very effective, but it's very, very expensive. So one dose is about $3,000, and it typically takes about six doses uh, per uh, per treatment or per bite. So you're looking about $10,000. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's Holy about $10,000 uh, per treatment, and that's the cost to the hospital. That's not your cost. So triple that is what your bill would be. Um, so not every facility carries that. Number one, snake bites, venomous snake bites are infrequent. Number two, it's very expensive. So if you're traveling somewhere and you're worried about snake bites, find out what facility in that area, the closest facility that carries that medication. And you can do that. You can simply call the hospital pharmacy and ask them, do you carry snake bite antivenom, Crofab? And they'll say, yes, we do, or no, we don't. And you call the local hospitals or you call the local EMS service um, and you say, hey, if I were to, if I come to your area and I get bit by a rattlesnake, how far do you have to take me until I can get this antivenom? Just for your own benefit. Not every paramedic you that responds to you is going to know that information. So the more information you have for yourself to take care of yourself or your family, the better off you're going to be. So if somebody shows up and you're bit by a rattlesnake, and they don't know where to go, you can tell them, hey, take me to this hospital. They have what I need. Um, when I lived in Indianapolis, we got it from the zoo. That was the closest place that had antivenom. We had yeah. to call the zoo. Nope. We had to call the zoo. Someone from the zoo had to go to the zoo, get the antivenom, and bring it to the trauma center to administer to patients. Um, so you can imagine then the cost, the cost goes up even more when that has to happen where I'm at, where I'm at Tennessee, my local hospital carries it. Um, so it's, it's nice, but, um, where I live here, it's, we have rattlesnakes 
aplenty. So and cottonmouth also. So um, the local hospital carries it, which is nice, but not not everybody does that. So so um, not all snake bites from venomous snakes are what they call wet bites. Um, there's a good percentage of them that are dry bites, so they will strike you, and no venom is either. Uh, it's voluntary for a snake to to produce or to inject venom. So um, not all snake bites from venomous snakes are, are going to have venom in them. Um, but if you were to get bit by a venomous snake and uh, get infected with venom, you will know almost immediately. So the most poisonous snake in the in North America is the eastern diamondback rattlesnake. Um, it's significantly poisonous. They say, when I read it up on this morning, um, a large adult can produce about 450 milligrams of the venom and it only takes about 180 milligrams to kill a man. So, um, but the good news is it takes about three hours for that to start to really approach death. So you've got a good amount of time. So don't panic. Don't just get, get somewhere that can treat you. All right. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt really bad. You're going to pass out. It causes what we call transient hypotension so your blood pressure is going to drop you're going to pass out most of the injuries i've seen and i have not that i've dealt with a lot but we've dealt with a few um most of the time we see injuries because people pass out and they fall and they hit their head or they break an arm or something like that after they get bit they pass out and they they fall down um so it's helpful to be with somebody so if you're going to go outside and enjoy um things outdoors take somebody with you um, it's great because if you get hurt and you can't help yourself, there's somebody there to help you. Um, and just because you, you kill a snake doesn't mean that it's not poisonous. The last one we dealt with was a, actually a fireman, fairly local fireman who um, was canoeing with his family and found a snake on the path down to the river. And he, he chopped its head off with the paddle and then picked it up on the paddle to show his kids. And it slid down and hit him in the hand, the head of the snake, slid down the paddle and nicked him in the hand and and that's all it took from the dead snake's head. So they can be venomous. They say about 30 minutes after death, but um, I just just don't touch them. Yeah, if, if you, you see it, don't touch it. <laughs> just just avoid it. Yeah. Um, but he immediately, he, he was bit, said, hey, this thing bit me. He passed out, hit his head on a rock, and had to get life lighted up to, Vandy, to Vanderbilt to get treatment. So, um, so you've got some time. You've got about three hours before that toxin. If there's enough of it for that toxin to, to reach your uh, your nervous system, become a neurotoxin. They're typically we call a hemotoxin or a blood toxin. So it'll it'll cause some bleeding, um, rapid swelling, uh, severe pain, uh, hypotension, bradycardia, and then eventually, if left untreated, uh, will uh, kind of paralyze your respiratory system. Um, so. Um, no tourniquets. So this is something that I fight on Facebook a lot. Um, don't put a tourniquet on a snake bite. You're not going to prevent the toxin from circulating into the blood. By the time you would apply a tourniquet, that's, it's already been circulated in the bloodstream probably four times over. Um, you're going to have rapid, severe swelling, which causes a lot, can cause a lot of tissue damage. So let it swell, take off jewelry, take off tight clothes, um, let it swell. It's going to swell. It's probably going to swell to the point where your skin uh, cracks open. Um, and if you apply a tourniquet, you're just going to make that swelling a lot worse. Uh, so do not apply tourniquets to snake bites. Do not cut it with a razor blade and try to suck it out. Um, 
Do not buy a Sawyer extraction kit from REI. <laughs> I just was looking at those on Amazon. I've literally got Amazon up and I'm looking at them Dude, online. <laughs> it's, and it's got a, it's got a five star rating because people swear that it saved their life. It's that is witchcraft voodoo. You cannot suck the venom out of a out of tissue once it's been injected. It's been injected. It's essentially you've been given a shot of venom. Um, if I were to give you a tetanus shot, I couldn't then turn around and, and cut you open and suck it out. It's circulated. It's gone. So don't, if you cut somebody and try to suck it out, now all you have is a snake bite with a cut on top. So do not try to suck the venom out. You're just wasting time that you need to, to use to get to a hospital. So. And by the way, this is, we're going to put a link up to back this up. This is not just Kevin's opinion. This has been no. recommended by, by by different groups, and we can put the links up because I know we're going to have the, the the naysayers and the haters jump on that one. So. Sure, <laughs> sure. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> anecdotally, people are all over it, but if you think about the physiology of it, think about the common sense. If I inject you with a, with a toxin through a hypodermic needle, I cannot then immediately turn around and try to suck that out that that's not how the body works it absorbs that that product and it goes into circulation fairly rapidly and um if people claim that when you they've used those extraction devices they get venom out they can see it that's just plasma you're sucking out of the tissue so um that venom's gone it's in your bloodstream it's you're not going to suck it out so take that time and get yourself out and get yourself to a hospital. Um, that's what you need. You don't need to be putting suction cups all over your body and cutting X's with razor blades. So, um, so yeah, if it's, if it's bad enough, um, the facility will give you antivenom. If it's not bad enough, they'll just let you ride it out and they'll support you with pain medicine and, and things of that nature. They're not going to give everybody antivenom. It's expensive. And if you don't need it, they're not going to give it to you. So, um, but if you think you've been bitten by a venomous snake, do not hesitate to leave the area and find yourself a hospital. Call 911 or call whoever the emergency services are closest to you and have them take you to that place. Because if something happens to you in the interim, uh, you pass out, you stop breathing, something like that, those folks can, can intervene on your behalf. So, um, But if nothing else, get yourself to a car and drive yourself, or don't drive yourself, have somebody drive you to the closest medical facility for treatment. Um, the biggest concern is just supporting, uh, supporting your major systems. Make sure you're breathing, make sure you're not bleeding out internally because what it'll do is essentially prevent you from uh, coagulating. So your blood will kind of leak out internally. Um, you'll have kind of some, you might, you might bleed from your gums. You might bleed from underneath your fainal beds, things like that. That's just the, the toxin doing its thing. So how quick does that happen? Well, it depends on how much venom well, sure, you get. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, to get to that stage, you're you're looking at, like I said, if it's left untreated for about three hours, then you you run the risk of, if you have enough venom injected, you run the risk of, uh, of it affecting your nervous system. So initially that's not going to happen. You're going to have the extreme pain, the extreme swelling within the first 30 minutes or an hour. And after that, you're going to start to see those advanced effects like the bleeding, um, the tissue necrosis, um, and then the respiratory issues. So if it's a, if it's bad enough, but like I said, going back to the very beginning, it's rare. We're talking 
it, you're more likely to be struck by a lightning than to be killed by a snake. Okay. The, but it can happen. Well, then, and, and we've got we've got a few minutes in, in <clears throat> with that, and so that that leads me to the next one. And, and the reason I'm asking is because I'm sitting here scratching one. Um, are are then you know the other things that are going to bite us? Um, and obviously, mosquitoes are a nuisance. And, and um, sure, I have I, I just was looking at the CDC, and they're not expecting a bad Zika year this summer. Uh, as a matter of fact, because of the cold late spring, they're saying it's probably going to be maybe the opposite. Um, okay. Good news. But the one I was looking at was um, spider bites, um, and okay. and that's that's another one that, that I just was thinking about. Uh, that that <clears throat> that seems to be, you know, and, and I know I know you haven't researched on throwing this at you cold, uh, so let's. No, that's fine. Um, what do you got? <laughs> So this is how I treat all, uh, all I guess we can call them skin wounds, whether it be a scrape or a cut or a bite. So initially, um, typically with spider bites, we find them in the morning. Um, you've been sleeping, you've been bitten by a spider in your sleep because nobody like nobody lets a spider crawl on them during the day if they can help it. So they're sleeping, the spider crawls on them, something happens, it bites them, they wake up in the morning, they have an, a red irritated area, and it gets worse. So the biggest indicator for a wilderness injury is, is it is it getting better? Is it staying the same, or is it getting worse? If something's getting worse, despite your best efforts to treat it, whether with over-the-counter medicines or cleaning it or bandaging, if it's getting worse, it's time for you to leave, and it's time for you to see a doctor or somebody smarter than yourself. Um so with a spider bite, it's going to get worse. Um, most spider bites are not uh, deadly or they're not toxin. Um, they're simply just irritating. And the ones that are deadly, um, for the most part, they're gonna, you're going to see some severe tissue necrosis. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to eat away that skin and muscle first and cause severe pain unless you've gotten into something really, like I said, outside of the United States, I have no idea. Okay. Um, so, but if you get a bite of any kind, any kind of animal or insect that bites you and you can't make it better, then it's time to seek help from somebody more advanced. Um, there's not a lot of over the counter stuff for things like spider bites. You're going to look at like topical analgesic stuff like calamine lotion or Benadryl creams or hydrocortisone creams. And you're essentially trying to get rid of the irritation and the itch and the swelling, um, so we're looking at antihistamines and topical ointments. And if that's not helping and things are getting worse, then it's time to, it's time to leave. If at a minimum you're looking at infection, um, which may not kill you today or tomorrow, but if left untreated can wreak havoc. So, um, anytime you break the skin, whether it's from a cut or a bite or something like that, if you can't keep it clean and you can't make it better, then it's time to leave and get to a place that can treat it more aggressively so if you probably won't know that it's a spider bite you may have your suspicions but like i said unless you watch the spider crawl up on you and bite you um you probably we probably see more bites from other things and people are like oh it must be a spider bite but the spider bites i've seen have been pretty nasty a lot of swelling a lot of inflammation a lot of they're they're pretty gross because people kind of ignore them for three or four days and now it's and swollen and it's yeah. busted open and it's gross. So pretty much with anything, um, if you can't fix that, if you can't make that better, and you've tried, you've tried your stuff and your kit, and things 
getting better. It's starting to get red, swelling, start to feel warm. You start to feel sick. Um, your mental status changes because you have a fever or you can't eat or now it's affecting your brain because you have an infection. If you start to get worse with anything, that's that's time to leave. So that that's the general rule with uh, wilderness medicine. And it can be from a simple backpack trip over the weekend to a multi-week trip. If you get injured or sick and you you do not get better, you cannot make it better then it's time to leave and time to get, to get out. And based off how sick you are at that point um, and what the consequences are, if you don't get out, we'll decide how fast you should get out. So what we, what we teach people is to call who you need to call. First, you have to know who to call, call that, call those people and say, this is what we have. These are the symptoms this patient's having. Um, This is what they've, how they've progressed and let those people decide how they're going to get you out. Um, they, they're probably not going to send a helicopter. They're probably not going <laughs> to, you know, but they may depend on what the resources are, but you know, um, we, we reserve high risk evacuation for high risk patients. So, you know, if you have a broken leg, you're probably not going to get a helicopter, but if you have a head injury, um, or you're, you know, you have sepsis and you're near death and they probably will, but, right. um, but yeah, if you get hurt, sick or injured, and you don't get better or you can't make it better, then it's time to it's time to call for help. So you need a plan. You need a plan for calling for help. You need to have your basic over-the-counter stuff to treat your boo-boos. Um, you can look at any first aid kit at a big box store or like an REI, and you can look at the contents of those kits, and you can, you can create your own. Um, you don't have to buy those kits. You can buy your own Tylenol, your own Benadryl, your own uh, anti-diarrheal. Those are... The couple of medications I keep are pain medicine like Tylenol, ibuprofen, uh, Benadryl, anti-diarrhea because that'll ruin a trip, um, and then some type of topical like uh, hydrocortisone or a Benadryl cream to deal with the bug bites and stuff. And then your basic band-aids, wraps, cuts and scrapes type first aid, and then from beyond that I move into my trauma kit. So if it's outside of if it's outside of my boo-boo kit and I have to move into my trauma kit, the trip is over. That person is leaving. So <clears throat> that's a great, that's a great, uh, um, plan to have, you know, if it's, if it's the boo-boo yeah. kit or are we, are we breaking up the big red bag? Um, right. I get it. Great. That's, that's, it, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. I was expecting a lot of, you know, I, I actually have my notes open here to make show notes and, I only have four notes on my show notes and, you know, the voodoo of snake bite pits, let it swell, anti-venom and spider bites. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, I mean, it, it just got broken down so succinctly and simple. Good. This has been perfect. Um, Good. Kevin, again, thank you so much. Um, I know uh, I know you were cooking dinner when I called and we set this up, so I, I appreciate you taking the time. Sounds like the natives have gotten restless in the back. I know I'm going to get a peek into my office here in a minute for... Yeah, uh, making dinner as well. So, uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, appreciate yeah. you coming on. And, uh, when we open this up, uh, members, if you have questions, just jump on the link uh, that we'll post on the page and ask away. I know Kevin is always happy to respond to those, and I think I just talked him into maybe coming to our little event in Soiree in September. So he, he'll probably be out there, and uh, you know, a chance to kind of get up there. And hopefully, won't have to put anything in play. But it's kind of nice to know that we're going to have a 
wilderness expert out there on that, uh, on that thing. So, um, <clears throat> with that, hey, thank you, sir. Yeah, bud. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, enjoy the rest of the weekend. All right, bud. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye.